0: Don't
1: wait. Visit Sono com slash save. Sono
0: Bello.com slash save. Sono Bello.com slash save. All in radio. Welcome to the X
1: Zone. A place where fact is fiction, and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McCano. And good evening, one and all. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell, and we're coming to you live and around the world from our broadcast center and studios in Crystal Beach, Ontario, Canada. If you would like to send me an email, exxon at exxonradiotv.com on all social media sites, exxon Radio TV. And um, if you'd like to find out more about the Exxon Radio Show and what we're up to, visit www.exonradiotv.com. And to watch the Exxon TV channel that is exclusive to our good friends on Simul TV, visit www.simultv.com. Exo Nation, my guest this hour is a gentleman we've had the pleasure of having on the show before, Elijah Brooks. And this hour, we're going to be talking about the will of God in human history. Joining me now is Elijah Brooks. And Elijah, welcome back to the Exxon.
2: Thank you very much.
1: Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, Elijah, and uh, what was it that set you on your path to to doing the books you do and to uh, talking about God and how God has been in, present in, in human throughout history?
2: First of all, we mortals all share a uh, common fear,
1: which is the fear of death. Sure
0: and
2: uh when i was a kid i didn't fear death because i was just certain that if i died i would just come right back
0: Mm -hmm.
2: by the time i was around 10 or 11 years old my my elders had listened to what they talked about and how they viewed things i just didn't believe them anymore they believed that thunder was caused by clouds bumping into each other and all this other nonsense and by the time I got into high school, I was a full-blown atheist. I just couldn't believe any of it. Really, it was just nonsense. And then, uh, you know, we go through life and we go through stressful interludes. And uh, at one point, I realized I have to have, I have to rethink this, because this is a matter of survival of the fittest, and I cannot survive without there being a god in the universe. If it's just that simple.
1: But what made you so sure?
2: When I was young, I, I took a lot of drugs. I mean, mm-hmm. I, wasn't, I didn't take as many as a lot of my friends did, but I took LSD. I sure. took a lot of pot. Uh, on LSD, uh, I had a friend of mine who was flat-out genius. He was a brilliant guy who was getting his uh, master's in international finance. Mm-hmm. Walked around in a suit and tie and took LSD. And none of his professors knew this, basically. One time, we all, he and I and a couple other friends, uh, we all took some together, like a half a dose, and tripped around, had fun. We, we were going to school in Gainesville at the University of Florida at the time. And afterwards, everybody else would come home, and go to sleep, and just fall asleep. I could never do that. I would come home and I would just be wired up, like on amphetamine or something. So, this one particular night, I'm laying there. Uh, trying to, you know, okay, I'm going to have to just content myself with my fantasies and thoughts. And all of a sudden, at one point, I found myself, like, floating through the cosmos, out amongst the stars, looking around, and realizing that, in my view, all this universe was just dead matter. And there was no soul to it, and there was nobody to to uh, pray to, to plead to, to ask for help, to communicate with. And this sense of loneliness came over me, which was so overwhelming that I found myself heading for one of those LSD crash and burns that Mm -hmm. some people would go through and never come back. And I realized that I I had to rethink this. First of all, I had to get off that train of thought and come back to it in the morning, which I did. The next morning when I woke up, I realized if my belief system is so leads me to such vulnerability as that, mm-hmm. and I I can't survive. I need a different view of the universe, and I need to revisit this whole idea. Maybe I was hasty. Maybe I cut off the possibility of there being a god to the universe too too quickly. Right. So I started rethinking it, and I kind of eventually found my way back. Now I have no doubt, and I've I've had some uh, experiences that uh, I've. I would be considered a nutcase by a lot of people if I told them what my visions have been. But, uh, okay, they're my visions. I know what I saw. I know what I felt. I know what I heard.
1: Okay, the uh, the experience you had, many people within the metaphysical community would call it an out-of-body experience.
2: Um. Yeah, pretty much that night it was, because yeah. I, was, I was out there floating amongst the stars. It was, uh, it was beautiful until all of a sudden it was terrifying.
1: So what was it that you found so terrifying? Was it the fact that it was a void, that there was no other present, that, that you were alone, a singular object in the vast universe?
2: Exactly. The loneliness. The loneliness was overwhelming.
1: All right, so how did the you... the
2: pointlessness of it.
1: Okay, so how did, you, how did you come to the realization that there was some bigger power out there, that you were not alone, that you were part of something greater?
2: It, it wasn't an overnight like revelation. I had to find my way back. I had to revisit my thoughts and beliefs and how I'd come to that conclusion to begin with. And it took me a while. Uh, one of the things that was kind of a rubicon for me was uh, I went and lived in Israel for a couple of years, uh, about two years after this. And one of the things that, that really began to change my mind on this is I started thinking about the power of belief, the power of faith, and the fact that the Jews had survived for 3,000 years with the earth throwing everything that it could at them, and they had survived on the strength of their beliefs.
0: So
2: and there must be something to it.
1: And we all know but that also, belief. Uh, we all know that belief is oh, the yeah. strongest power in the universe.
2: Say it again, sorry.
1: I said belief is the strongest power in the universe. That's true. Yeah.
2: And it can be put to good ends or bad ends, depending on what the people that believe, believe.
1: Mm-hmm. So how did, your, how did your living in Israel change your life? When, when did the epiphany come?
2: The reason I went to Israel actually didn't have so much to do with God. I mean, by this time, I already believed in God. Mm-hmm. So uh, my trip there was—I had known about global warming since I took my first uh, junior college physics course uh, when I was like 19 years old. And I looked around at the, the politicians in my country. And as a matter of fact, politicians around the world, I was looking for somebody to realize what an existential threat and danger global warming was for the human race. And it's like they didn't even know it existed. And I figured that they're not going to fix it. I guess I'm going to have to do what I can to fix it. So, you know, when you're young, you believe you can do anything, and I believed I could do that. Mm -hmm. I was going to go to Israel, somehow or other, ingratiate myself into the people. I I wound up converting to Judaism by means of the Orthodox rabbinate, not because I wanted to be an, uh, an Orthodox Jew, but because I wanted to get into politics in Israel and be able to have a voice finally in world ecology, among other things.
1: So so you, everything seems to be very scattered. When did you start focusing in on certain things?
2: They all kind of came together. I mean, uh, God gave us this beautiful planet, and we're trashing it, so uh, that was part of the motivation there. Um, I don't know, I just... I had an idea what I had to do. Uh, Sense of responsibility, and I went for it.
1: And, and the house to say it. And did you accomplish it?
2: No, no, I didn't. But I learned a tremendous amount when I was living there. Uh, going first of all, I learned I learned Hebrew, uh, and I learned a lot of things by reading parts of the Bible in Hebrew. Mm-hmm. Because uh, among other things, I realized how much I had been misled by really bad translations of what Scripture actually says. Uh, For instance, um, the word Messiah. Uh, The word Messiah does not mean Savior. It's a transliteration of the Hebrew word, Mashiach, and it means to anoint. And the uh, function of anointing or the symbolism of anointing was basically like coronating a, a, a prince. It established a civil identity in the eyes of the population that this person was in this role. It was used for the priests, it was used for the kings, and it was used for the prophets. It all right, Elijah. All, all
1: right, Elijah. We're going to have to take. <laughs> we're going to have to take a break here. So please stand by. Examination, Our guest this hour is Elijah Brooks. And if you'd like to uh, get any of his books, go to Amazon.com and type in Elijah Brooks. This is the X I am Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Crystal Beach, Ontario, Canada, right on the shores of Lake Erie in the beautiful region of Niagara. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break, and you can always email me. Don't forget this, explanation You can always email me, xzone, at xzoneradiotv.com.
0: After all you've been through, tell me what will you do when you find yourself out
1: back, everyone. That is Michael J. McCurley out of Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. I've had the pleasure of working with MJM, as he's known uh, when we were doing the voice tracking for Canada's Creepy Canada TV series. And the name of that uh, song? She's an amusement park. Oh, my goodness. He's a great guy. And uh, back in the day, we were doing work for the International, uh, International Institute for Spinal Regeneration. And we did a um a fundraiser at a location in hamilton and uh, mike j mccurley and all the guys from band from heaven came down and donated their time so did the wrestler iron mike uh, sharp as well as uh what was his name he did the the beast i'll have to look that up and let you know our guest to this hour Exonation, nation is uh, elijah brooks And if you'd like to find out more about Elijah or if you'd like to get his books, they're available on Amazon.com. Now, Elijah, how did learning Hebrew help you in your research, in your quest?
2: Because I could find out what words really meant. And I'm going to tell you something about myself that I don't go around bragging about, but I'm gay. Okay. And I went through a lifetime suffering for this subject, and I decided since uh, the, the rationalizations for homophobia, a mm-hmm. lot of them come out of the Bible, the way people interpret it. So I decided I'm going to read it. I'm going to see what the sure. Bible actually does say about homosexuality. And to my surprise, it doesn't say anything. Well, why should I found rather have interesting.
1: Well, I, I think that the Bible has been manipulated throughout the years to get what religious organizations want. For example, they they eradicated women. They, you know, they did everything they could to keep women out of the boys club. You know, yep. it, it's it's no and and then when it came to the LGBT group, they did the same thing back then. Nobody's perfect yep. and nobody's got the right to play God except God himself. Yep. You know, so we're all, we're all from the same tree, so to speak, right?
0: Yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah. You got
1: it. Yeah, so I, I, personally, my friend, I cannot understand the prejudice. If I had my way, and I'm going to tell you something, my listeners know this, I don't know if you've ever heard me discuss this, I would, uh, I would take all the churches and I'd say, all right, for example, let's take the Vatican, okay? You got to sell uh-huh. it. You've got to sell it. You're you don't need it. Jesus Christ didn't need a a multi-billion dollar state of his own. You don't need all these statues. Yep. You don't need all the gold. Sell it and give it to the people who need it. Yep. The same thing with the Anglican Church, the Catholic Church, the synagogues. Let's get religion back to basics. I There's know. a
2: passage in the Old Testament that mm-hmm. talks about the Golden Age of Israel. And it says the Golden Age of Israel was when there was no religion, Yeah, there were no forced prayers, but everybody just did what was right in God's eyes.
1: You know, one thing, one thing God did that many people miss it as the Rosetta Stone of religion, in my opinion, the Ten Commandments. You follow the Ten Commandments, you can't go wrong. It's I'm that plain. Sure. It's that simple. So, my friend, as you can see, you're 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 not alone. I know. I know oh. people around the world who feel the same way you and I do. No. Yep. Tell me something in all your in all your yep. learning and all your in all the um, in all the research that you've done, being on your quest, and God bless you for that. I know that, if I'm not mistaken, the Torah are the first four or five books of the Old Testament. Am I correct?
2: Uh, yes, the first five books, actually. First five
1: books, right. Now, even though the, the Hebrew religion does not acknowledge Jesus Christ as the Son of God, mm-hmm. do you believe that there will be a second coming? And do you believe that there will be
2: the apocalypse. Oh, we're in the we're on the verge of the apocalypse right now.
1: I agree. Yeah.
2: And as far as the second coming, yeah, I do believe that. Uh we live in a multifaceted universe. Mm-hmm. Uh we live in a multidimensional universe. Uh one thing I, you know, I Studied electrical engineering, but I also—that's I mean, all I got my degree in. But right. I also know some things about physics. And when I came across string theory, I—it suddenly dawned on me one day that's the secret to understanding uh, life after death and out-of-body experiences and stuff like that. Because we are multidimensional beings; we don't exist just in three three dimensions in time. We we exist in multiple dimensions. Mm-hmm. So when the part of us that is in this dimension dies or ceases functioning, we uh, there's still something of us left. That's why we, that's why people that come back from death uh, have, can recount their experiences because they didn't really die; just the part that's, that's existential in this world died.
1: In your okay. opinion. In your opinion, does this explain reincarnation? Does this also explain past life experiences that people have?
2: Yeah, actually it does.
1: Now, according to the scriptures, Christians and Jews share. Who was the first Messiah?
2: Moses. Because Moses is told by God Mm -hmm. to anoint his brother Aaron. The word Messiah or Mashiach in Hebrew is both a passive and an active verb. So if you anoint somebody, you Mashiach them, you Messiah them. That makes you Messiah. If you are anointed, you are Messiah. And then you have the power to anoint somebody after you. So um, well, does that answer the question?
1: Yeah, yeah, it does. But can, is an anointing like a baptism?
2: Uh, sort of, except they use the oil. And you pour some oil on the guy's head and yeah. rub it around and press the changer, You've been anointed.
1: I would imagine I don't know,
2: there must have been like a formula of prayers that you said or done. Mm-hmm. There, I don't know, but yeah. I do know what the word itself means.
1: Right. I was just wondering that because there are many places where uh, uh, anointings had been done where there was no immediate water, and I was wondering if that is why. Uh, that the anointing might be associated with a baptism, because in the in the days when Jews traversed the um, the deserts, oil was one of the staples. Mm-hmm. So, just a yeah. question for you.
2: Yeah. Well, anointing was done with oil. It
1: wasn't done with water. Right. I I, I know that. That's why I was saying, because where a lot of the anointings happened, there was no easy access to water. You know, there weren't many rivers, or there wasn't, uh, you know, if you were inland and so on. Um, Doing your research, what was the most, most amazing revelation that you discovered?
2: Oh, Lordy. Um, when I was in Israel, I had decided that I wanted to have some sort of a spiritual experience.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: I I wanted to understand what Jesus went through and what that whole experience must have been like. And uh, did I ever because I had a friend of mine from um, Los Angeles that left the kibbutz, went back to the States, and I had asked her if she would send me some LSD when she got there, and she did. Mm -hmm. So when I left the kibbutz where I was living, where I went through the conversion and everything, well, actually, I went through the conversion on an Orthodox religious kibbutz, but I went back to live with my old kibbutz afterwards. uh, She sent me some LSD. I got down to a lot. And I'm uh, working on a construction site down there tying structural steel. It mm-hmm. so the poured concrete. Uh, the guy that I was working, they told me, if you work for an Arab, and one of my best friends is an Arab, so I'm not anti-Arab by any means, but they said, if you work for Arabs down there, make sure you get paid every single day because they will rob you if you don't. And dumbass me, I had to put it to the test. I, have, I had to trust and so forth. Yeah. The guy I worked for wound up policing me over half of what he owed me. Oh,
0: gosh.
2: So, uh, I'm finally there uh, with nothing to do for a few Mm -hmm. days, because I had to get my grandma to send me some money so I could get the hell out of the country by this time, because it wasn't going to happen any other way. So I figured, okay, I'm going to take some of this stuff, and I'm going to have myself a spiritual revelation of some sort.
1: All right, Elijah? We're going to have to do a bit of a cliffhanger here because I have to take my news break at the bottom of the hour. So please stand by. Great talking to you again. And Exxon Nation, if you'd like to find any of Elijah's books, they're on Amazon. Just visit Amazon.com or Amazon.ca and type in his name, Elijah Brooks. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. Send me your emails, exxon at exxonradiotv.com or visit our website, www.exxonradiotv.com. And don't forget, the Exxon TV channel is exclusive to Simul TV. Visit Simul TV's great website, www.simultv.com. Welcome back, everyone. Our guest this hour is Elijah Brooks. And if you'd like to get any of Elijah's books, they're all available on Amazon.com and Amazon.ca. Elijah, who are the money chain? Oh, let's get on with your 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 um your cliffhanger over here because I did. Uh, we were, we were talking about the experience you had in Israel. Uh, somebody had sent you some LSD. You had you would also ask your somebody in your family to send you some money because that's the only way you could get out of there. So please continue.
2: Um, Yeah, i got to make one correction real quick there. Sure. If they want to find my book, there's more than one Elijah Brooks on Amazon. Oh, there is. The Lives of Elijah Brooks, So In other words, reincarnation. Okay, I did. Yeah. yeah. The experience I had was, uh, first of all, it was terrifying. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, because I realized that I was in a city-state that if I got caught intoxicated with a hallucinogenic drug, I would go to jail. So I had the double jeopardy of that fear on top of the fact that I was in a place where I was really vulnerable. I mean, I had nobody for wow. support. I had no escape hatch, basically.
1: But as so U.S. But, huh?
2: but as so a US
1: ahead. but as a US citizen wasn't the embassy available to you or the consulate?
2: Not where I was. I was in uh, Eilat, which is like the uh Wild West of Israel at Oh, the time.
1: okay. All right.
2: So uh there there was nobody that was going to rescue me. That was that, you know, that story. Um, the epiphany of this story though, was that As I'm walking along down the sidewalk, it was Mm -hmm. like I could feel the fear that Jesus felt walking down that path towards his crucifixion. I could feel it as though it was going to happen to me, and I knew what that was. And that was one of the things I was looking for. I wanted to know, what did he suffer? And it was God-awful. I mean, I can't even describe the feeling.
1: Uh, oh, okay i'm trying to i'm trying to understand the the comparison between you being lonely in an area where you had no support compared to that of jesus christ who's carrying a cross who's been convicted who has been belittled who had all the uh, the apostles and mary magdalene his mother his uncle well, I, i'm sorry i don't understand the connection
2: here I, I don't put myself on the same level of him. What I'm saying is I felt that fear. I mean, a lot of people that go through these, uh, these rituals where they get themselves actually nailed to something or hung mm-hmm. up from a cross, right? They want to know what did he feel? And if you take LSD, you can feel some horrible things. I'm going to tell you anyway, I don't, okay. I don't want to get in trouble by. Sure. All right. You no. Know. Yeah, I,
1: I can understand that. So the experience you felt that you believe must have that must have been the feeling that Christ felt on, on the way to his crucifixion, how did this change your life?
2: Uh, it didn't. I mean, uh, I, once I got through it, uh, I vowed, first of all, I'm never taking LSD again, ever, 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 ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't worth it. Uh, whatever insight I got was not worth the pain and the harm that I did to my own physiology. But I got the point. I understood, you know, you, you can't know what it's like to be murdered until you're murdered. And especially the way he was murdered, but at least I got some insight. So I'm, I'm not putting myself on the same level sure. at all. Um,
1: Tell me about the money changers uh, that Jesus had such a beef with.
2: Yeah. People don't understand what the money changers were there for, what they were doing. By the time Jesus came along, the Jews were spread all over the Mediterranean. They, were, they had gone as far as into Spain. They were uh, heading off into the Indian subcontinent. They mm-hmm. were down into the Arabian Peninsula, just like the Arabs have spread out, basically. And just like the Arabs want to go back to Mecca for the Hajj to uh, do something that makes them feel like they're communicating with God, whatever. The Jews had that same kind of feeling. They wanted to get back to Jerusalem at some point in their life, and they wanted to make a sacrifice. Here's the thing about the money and the time. Interest lending was specifically forbidden by the laws of Moses. It says, you shall not lend money on interest. The money changers were in Jerusalem because people were coming back from all these foreign countries and bringing their foreign currency with them. But the cost of the sacrifices was spelled out in Hebrew currency. A lamb costs this much, a dove cost this much a rabbit cost this much whatever other animal costs this much the prices were set it was essentially a commodities based currency the value of the currency being based on the value of the animal the money changers however were charging interest for their transactions so that right there and the fact that they were doing it on the temple grounds lying under the the nose of the uh the priests Mm -hmm. which incidentally were uh appointed by the romans by this time they weren't even legitimate priests um it sort of you know put the kibosh on the whole situation there um and that's why he wanted them out of there that this was this was something that should have been being handled by the priesthood itself and it should have been being handled without charging interest for it. So driving him out, that he just considered that his sacred duty, I guess.
1: So basically they were like a currency exchange.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. Um, what's your take on the Exodus?
2: Oh, yes. Uh, incidentally, if anybody wants my book, they're going to have to go to the lives of Elijah Brooks, because there's more than one Elijah Brooks, it turns out, mm-hmm. on Amazon. Uh, my book is now in its second edition. I'd written the first edition and I would given it to some friends of mine. And one of my friends lent it to a friend of his who read it. Uh, I went to visit him one day while she was visiting him and she informed me that she had enjoyed it, but that I had made some mistakes because what I do is the first half of the book I retells to make my point I use incidents in the Old Testament and the New Testament. To, retell, to tell my story, basically. Right. Sure. And one of the things I messed up was I messed up the family relationship between Lot and Abraham. I don't know how I got it wrong, but I got it wrong. And she pointed it out to me. And I thought, well, oh, that's embarrassing. I'm, so what I made up my mind to do was I'm going to go back and reread the parts that I got my text from and fix it. Okay. So I'm reading... One of the things I was going to read is the story of Exodus. I was reading Exodus, and I got to the story of the plague of darkness. As I'm reading the plague of darkness, the narrator says, it was a darkness you could feel. As soon as I read that line, I knew exactly what had happened. Remember Mount St. Helens? Yeah, sure. Mount St. Helens completely blocked the sun. You could walk outside and you could not see your nose in front of your face. That's how black it was. And I remember listening to this one interview. There's a newscaster walking along with one of the locals up there, and the the guy that's being interviewed says, you know, it's amazing. You can't see the ash in the air, but you can feel it on your skin as it it brushes by your skin. Mm -hmm. A darkness you could feel. Immediately, I understood this was a volcanic explosion. Let's go online and do some research on volcanoes. Okay. And it turns out there's an island in the Mediterranean, south of Greece, called Santorini, that exploded just about the perfect time to fit with the story of Exodus and the story of the darkness, specifically. Mm-hmm. With a force of, I mean, Mount St. Helens went off with like 120 megatons. Uh, Santorini blew with like over two or 3,000 megatons. It was a phenomenal blast.
0: Hmm. There's was
2: a scale of volcanic force uh, that goes from one to nine. A nine is a shield volcano. And that's like, uh, what do you call it? Yellowstone. If, when Yellowstone blows, that's the end of life on Earth Earth. Substantial portion of the planet. The next step down from that, though, is the level that Santorini was. When Santorini blew, uh, it created the myth for the Plague of Darkness and a lot of the plagues of Egypt. All right, Elijah, and we're, we're going to have to
1: we're going to have to take our break here. Yeah, so please stand by. Exonation. Elijah okay. Brooks is our special guest. And if you'd like to get his book, it's available at Amazon.com forward slash The Lives of Elijah Brooks. That's the name. And we'll be back. This is The Exon. I am Rob McConnell coming to you from our broadcast centre studios in Crystal Beach, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. Elijah Brooks is our guest, Exo Nation, and if you'd like to uh, find Elijah's books, they're available on Amazon. Just visit Amazon.com forward slash the lives of Elijah Brooks, and uh, his books will be there. All right. So, when it comes to the rest of the story of the the Exodus, how accurate is it?
2: I didn't hear that last word. The rest, the rest of the story of the why.
1: When it comes to the story of the Exodus, all right, oh. how accurate is it?
2: Um, when I lived in Israel, I lived on the kibbutz, uh, a religious kibbutz, outside of Tel Aviv one time for about six months. And we had a plague of frogs. I've never seen so many frogs in my life. You literally could not walk down the sidewalk without stepping on them, hmm. no matter how hard you tried. So I think some of it was stuff that just naturally occurs periodically, and then some of it was like from that explosion of that volcano. So
1: So when we're looking at the entire Bible, the Old Testament, as well as the New Testament, how much is real and how much is folklore?
2: I have no way of quantifying that. I know there is folklore and I know there is... uh, Stuff that actually happened that people just they didn't have spy satellites they didn't have uh, you know mm-hmm. things orbiting the planet right to tell them what was going on when there's a volcano going off for, sh- for instance but uh, a lot of it was real events and then a lot of it was stuff that got exaggerated or misinterpreted basically
1: uh, a lot of stories in there like Aesop's cables uh, t- uh, fables right they all have meanings, they all have messages, they all have lessons.
2: I would yeah. It's nice to find the meaning in life. That's mm-hmm. what we're all looking for. So we look for the lessons, that's for sure.
1: Now you were talking about string theory earlier in the hour. How sure. do, how do you how do you how do you see string theory answering a lot of questions?
2: One of the reasons that string theory came into existence was because there was just too much going on to explain in a three dimensional plus time universe. And they found, they discovered that if they would just add some more dimensions, that the equations would work out better for some reason. I'm not an expert on string theory. I just know that it postulates that there are between 10 and 12 more dimensions than what we see. Right. And one day it just sort of occurred to me wouldn't it be interesting if part of our existence, I mean, people die and come back and mm-hmm. they have experiences where they can see themselves being operated on a table. That means they're there someplace. They're just not visible to the people that are in the operating room. And for the longest time, doctors would just discount this. And, oh, poor dear. You just had a hallucination. But eventually doctors began to realize that they were hearing the same story over and over and over again with various minor differences. So they began to take it seriously that yes, there is something going on. And for me, when I realized, when I began to understand a little bit about string theory, I realized mm-hmm. that would explain so much. What if we are all of us multidimensional beings, but our sensory input from this one three-dimensional plus time universe that we inhabit is so overwhelming that we can't see the rest of it for the most part. Uh, it just uh, it answers a lot of questions for me, basically.
1: It, it answers a lot of questions. I, I agree, but none of this can be proven. So it's a theory.
2: It can be proven from people that have had near-death experiences. Well, I can't... How do you make the link between string theory and out-of-body experiences? Is, is that the question? Well, no. they the, I the, don't the, know the, how you would do that.
1: No, the question is, how can you... If you're talking about how string theory can make all these different formulations work, you know, multi-dimensions, multi-universes, mm-hmm. uh, multi, uh, and so on, that are strictly theories. How can we use them with any certainty and say, well, based on string theory, uh, string theory we, it all adds together and we get an answer? Isn't, isn't that just looking for an answer and actually not being able to prove it?
2: Oh, I really can't. I can only postulate. I can't answer that question because okay. I don't have. It, it takes scientific equipment. You have to have some sort of a model that you can prove something. Uh, and obviously, I can't do that. Um,
1: so, so where where does the soul fit into all of this? I'm sorry, what? Where does the soul fit into all of
2: this? The soul is the multi dimensional part of us. It's the part that continues after this three dimensional plus time part of us mm-hmm. gives up the ghost, which is us, basically.
1: But doesn't I mean, this should... doesn't this all depend if in fact there are multiple universes or multiple dimensions?
2: Say that again. Sorry?
1: I said, doesn't this all depend if, in fact, there are multiple universes and multiple dimensions?
2: Uh, Yeah, actually it does.
1: So once again, it's a postulation.
2: Yeah. Well, life after death is a postulation. You're right. Except for people that have experienced it and come back, it's not a postulate for them because they've experienced it. So the rest of us are just uh, left depending on their testimony. I'd never heard of near-death experiences until I got myself locked up in jail down in L.A. several years ago. And I had a cellmate who, uh, you know, we were locked in a cell overnight because we'd gotten there too late to be booked in, probably. Mm -hmm. And um, I've had a very colorful life, so that's part of it. I can tell. He starts telling me this story where he had uh, gotten in a shootout with the Los Angeles police Mm -hmm. and they had literally riddled him full of holes. And he says, the next thing he knows, he's floating above his body, looking down at this police officer, taking the head of his dead body and pounding it on the concrete. And he remarked to me that it, it was sickening to him that the human race could be that bestial that that policeman would be doing that, acting like that. He then finds himself, moving towards the proverbial light. Right. He identifies this light as God, Mm -hmm. and he knows that he's reaching the cutoff point, that he's going to have to make a decision either to leave this world or to come back. He looks back at his life. He looks back at that body on the ground, his life coming to an end like that in this really ignominious fashion, and he just can't do it. He can't let this be his legacy. So he makes up his mind that he's going to come back. At that point, he loses consciousness and doesn't regain consciousness till like a week or two later in a hospital with all kinds of tubes coming out of him and sewed up here and there. He showed me the bullet wounds. He had bullet wounds all over his body. They had shot him to pieces, basically. So, um, did that answer the question?
1: Uh, not really, but uh
2: Oh. It's. I got lost in, this, in the point. What was the question, Ashley?
1: We're going to go on to the next question. Listen, what, oh, are, you, what, what are your final words for the Exxonation? You've got about a minute.
2: Thank God for programs like you, yours and thank God for you because this is the kind of stuff that people want to know. They want to know that there's more to life and more to this existence mm-hmm. than just this miserable state that we seem to have gotten ourselves into lately. And uh, as long as there are people like you that are willing and brave enough to bring it to the public, uh, more power to you.
1: Well, my reasoning is very simple. There's three sides to every story. His side, her side, and the truth. So I try to bring as many sides to any given story to my audience and let them make up their own mind. I think that, and I've been doing that now for 32 years like this, and... Seems to be a formula that keeps working. Cool. Let our listeners know where they can buy your book again.
2: Say it again. Sorry.
1: Uh, tell our listeners where you can buy where they can buy your books.
2: It's it's only available on Amazon right now. It's called the Lives, plural, Lives of Elijah Brooks. Uh, The first half uh, could be considered. fiction if you want. I got in a big Mm -hmm. argument with my publisher over this issue. Uh, The second half is testify before Congress, true, and autobiographical. And I tried to make it funny whenever possible. I've gotten some laughs out of it from people. So um, I think I wrote a successful story, if you're that way.
1: All right, Elijah, I want to thank you so much for joining us tonight here in the Exxon and Exxon Nation. Once again, go online Elijah Brooks is his name. Um, what I, the lives of Elijah Brooks is the uh, is what you type in. Wow, what do you say, Craig? <laughs>